You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. Hi, this is Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor of Columbus Business First and the host of this podcast, Women of Influence. This podcast features conversations with Columbus's leading women in business in which they talk about how they gained power, how they keep it, and how other women can follow in their footsteps. Today, we're chatting with Trudy Bartley, Associate Vice President of Local Government and Community Relations at The Ohio State University. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Trudy. <laughs> I just feel like I got to get that one in exactly. there. Exactly. <laughs> got to get that in. B. I'm okay. sure you don't get that all the time. <laughs> oh, no. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Well, again, thank you so much for being here. Oh, Eleanor, thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Um, it's just such an honor to have the opportunity to kind of talk about what I've done and um, some of the experiences that I've had that I hopeful, hopefully can be helpful Great. to others as they're coming up in their career. I hope so, too. So I want to start by actually going all the way back. When you were a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? When I was a little girl, I wanted to be a doctor. My father was a dentist. Mm-hmm. He was from the South. He was from Roanoke, Virginia. And he made the Great Migration North, as my mother did as well. Um, she was from Frankfort, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. They both met at Frisk, Fisk University in Nashville, oh, Tennessee. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and really just wanted a better life for themselves as well as for their children. Um, at that point in time in the 40s and the 50s, you know, there was segregation in the South and they were looking at greater opportunities for not only themselves, but for their children. So I have two older brothers. Mm -hmm. They are both 10 and 12 years older than me. Oh, wow. (laughs) So we, they, as I said, they came here. And because that's what I knew, as far as my dad being a dentist, he had gone to Ohio State in dentistry Mm -hmm. and had done his residency during the Korean War. And then came full circle back Mm -hmm. to Columbus. Um, Columbus had been a very welcoming city to African Americans coming from the South. What was very interesting at that point in time is that at that point in time in Columbus and particularly at Ohio State, there was not graduate housing for people of color. Mm. So my dad and others like himself who were in graduate school lived on the Near East Side. Um, around Mount Vernon, the Longstreet area, and that's where families who were there took them in Mm -hmm. while they were in school at Ohio State. Wow. And so how long did you 
think that that would be the path that you followed? Well, you know, what's interesting is that education was very, very important to both of my parents. And so my mother was a teacher, and she taught. We lived on Franklin Park South, Mm -hmm. and she taught right up the street at Fair Avenue. Mm -hmm. And my father had been the child of a woman. Her name was Gertrude West down in Roanoke, Virginia, and she had been the administrator and the principal of the school that my father had gone to. Mm -hmm. So he had been kind of bullied while she, you know, teacher's pet and whatever, so he did not want that same type of opportunity for me Mm -hmm. going down the street from um, the school that my mother taught at, so he applied for me to go to Columbus School for Girls. Okay. And so I started in kindergarten, and I was the first African-American to go there. Wow, wow. So what was that like? <laughs> I know that's such a big question, but were, were you, you know, hyper-conscious of that while you were there? You know, what was really interesting is that, you know, growing up in the Near East Side, at that point in time, it had changed over to specifically an African-American socioeconomically mixed community. So there were not many people who, were not, who did not look like myself that I had come in contact with. Mm -hmm. So I had gone to preschool, which is very interesting, at Ohio Day Nursery, was right next door to Point Dexter Village. Mm -hmm. And so all of my peers at that point in time in pre-K and kindergarten were individuals and kids who looked like me. Mm -hmm. So I go to kindergarten at CSG, and there's no one who looks like me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't really pay that much attention to it myself, but understood that other people were t- paying more attention to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point that folks were coming to the door, kind of like looking at me. When I would go over to other folks' houses, sometimes the teachers would tell me how I was supposed to act, even though I already knew that from my parents uh-huh. as far as what the proper manners were for a five-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it was... A journey that made me stronger. Mm -hmm. It's where I first came in contact with racism at CSG in a word that I was called, as well as other types of expletives that were discussed with me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at that point in time, you're young. You don't really understand what is going on. You have those conversations with your family. They try to explain it to the best way that they can to a five-year-old. Yeah. But it didn't change who I was. It made me understand that, you know, I was different, but I did not really have that change my confidence in who I was, even as a little girl, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I had a great support system around me. Mm-hmm. I grew up on a street where there were, as I said professionals and all types of individuals who were very successful in their careers and so that's what I had to come back to Mm -hmm. so it made me very strong in who I was Mm -hmm. and not necessarily listen to what people said they thought I was Mm -hmm. did the school diversify more while you were there right well what's interesting is that I was the first came in kindergarten and the next year it was like a plethora of little (laughs) girls that came to the school and I would say they were probably um, my best friends still um, Kay Mason um, who her um, name was Belle and it was Lynn Toller and Kathy Toller and 
we were all and the pens and so after I came then it just kind of opened up the mm-hmm. opportunity for other young girls to come to CSG as well. What is also very interesting is that that at that point in time Columbus Academy prior to my going to CSG was not accepting African American males. Oh wow. And so my brothers went to boarding school in Connecticut. Oh my goodness. I mean, also, I'm sure a plethora of diversity up there for them. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But my parents were very intentional mm-hmm. about education, and education is something that can never be taken away from you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's something that can lead to your success mm-hmm. and your access and your experience. Does that, I'm jumping ahead now, where did you send your kids to school? Um, so when I eventually came full circle back to Columbus. Um, I have, as I said, twin boys. Um, And we moved back to Columbus when they were about two years old. And I looked at Academy for my sons, but it was very similar to what it had been when I was there. Mm -hmm. And I needed something different because they weren't children who were very good at being in a very structured environment. Mm -hmm. So they went to Montessori. Oh, okay. Gotcha. (laughs) Uh, They went to Montessori, and then from there we um, looked around um, the Columbus community because I had been away for 10 years, Mm -hmm. and it had changed tremendously. So we just looked at the communities, we looked at the opportunities, and we settled in on New Albany. Gotcha. And we lived in New Albany for about 20 years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the boys started, I believe, in first grade. Gotcha. And then finished there, and then from there went to college. Do you feel like you have kind of that same view of education that your parents had? Very much so. Very much so, in that education gives you the opportunity and it gives you choice. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I always really emphasize to my boys, in that, you know, your parents provide you with the skill sets and the experiences to be successful. It's about what you do with that. Mm -hmm. And that it's not about depending upon your parents for where you go in the future. It's about you doing the best that you can do and be in order to have options and opportunities for yourself. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Well, and then, so you mentioned you were away from Columbus for 10 years, Mm -hmm. so where'd you go and what brought you back? As I said, I went to CSG, kindergarten through 12th grade. Mm -hmm. My father always wanted me to go to a sister school. Mm -hmm. So I went to Wellesley. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Um, it's probably not the school that I wanted to go to, but the school <laughs> that he wanted me to go to. <laughs> so I went to Wellesley College. It was a really easy transition coming from CSG going to another single-sex school. Uh-huh. Um, it was phenomenal being in Boston where there were so many schools and experiences and, and people coming from Ohio. My roommates were from New York and all these other places, and they had no idea where Ohio was. <laughs> they thought, you know, is the closest airport to you Chicago? Uh-huh. <laughs> Knowing that they don't know anything beyond the Hudson River. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so it was a good learning experience for me to understand how to learn how to ride public transit. Mm-hmm. And really just to be, for the first time, on my own and really experience other cultures, other ethnicities, other um, religions, um, individuals from all across the world. And it really gave me a sense of 
confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, going from a single from a single sex education to CSG, then to Wellesley, always let me know that my opinion was valid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In that. I am a very observant person, I listen a lot, but I feel my opinion is as valid as any other woman or man Mm -hmm. in the room. And so I think that that has really been very integral in my success moving forward, being diplomatic in what I say, Mm -hmm. but being impactful and intentional. And saying one impactful thing, because it's not about chatter, it's about making a difference. Mm-hmm. And if you can just say that one thing that could either continue the trajectory of a conversation or an implementation or an execution or an idea, I think that that is very valid, rather than just chattering about what you know mm-hmm. and just it not going anywhere. So as I said, CSG and, and Wellesley really helped me in my formative years and moving forward as far as thinking about what I wanted to be. When I, when I went to Wellesley, I still thought I wanted to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. But then I started classes, and I'm like, this is not me <laughs> <laughs> at all. So I started taking political science and economics mm-hmm. because I wanted to understand exactly how the world worked from an economic standpoint. Um, We didn't have a business curriculum per se, so this was the closest thing that I could get to it. Mm -hmm. And really enjoyed understanding, not only on a national basis, but on an international basis, how choices and commodities and uh, that individuals make impact what happens Mm -hmm. moving forward um, within an industry, within a nonprofit, within opportunities moving forward. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people that I was not necessarily very focused from there as far as specifically what it is I wanted to do with that. Um, I think that youth today and young people today are very focused on, I want to be, I want to go into data analytics and I want to do A, B, and C. I was, I want to think about the political realm, but I don't know where my place is in that, Mm -hmm. but I need to understand through experience what it can be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Understanding that I do want to have an impact and I do want for for positive and to make change. Mm -hmm. I want to Kind of several different ideas I want to follow through. So I want to start because it's an interesting thing. The the single sex education. I mm-hmm. feel like all women's schools, um, well, also all male schools are kind of uh, at a challenging point. I know. So I used to live in Virginia, and mm-hmm. Sweetwater like came very right. close to, or exactly. Sweetbriar came very close to closing and struggled. So do you both like sort of do you still see a value of that model today? And and what would you tell? you know, an 18-year-old who was wondering if that was the right environment for them? I think people really need to be very self-aware to understand if it's a good environment for them. It was for me because it kept me very directed. With a liberal arts education, being able to kind of not necessarily have a pinpoint. I did have a major, but I had other experiences Mm -hmm. with classes that I took Mm -hmm. that... I and I didn't have the distraction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, <laughs> not saying that men are distractions or boys are distractions, but I didn't have the distraction of 
maybe I, I want to look like this, or maybe I need to come to you know class, or maybe I'm not going to say something because of how it may impact a relationship with someone else. It was about I'm here. This is what my focus is, and I'm going to learn all that I can in order to know as much as I can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how that translates into professional career, I didn't really know at that time. Uh-huh. But for me, it was about knowledge because I think, I believe in lifelong learning mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in that it never stops you are constantly learning not only from your peers, but you're from your environment, but also from those who are younger than you. You're learning from your children. You're learning from millennials because information is coming at you so quickly. Mm-hmm. It's about how you synthesize it and how you utilize those granular nuggets that are really something that kind of stand out to you. So... You know, I listen to podcasts all the time that really help me keep in tune with what my kids are doing and what they're saying so I can understand the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Are you on TikTok? (laughs) Um, And I try to be in, you know, I'm I'm like on Reddit. I listen to podcasts like, oh my God, what is my favorite? It is Sam Sanders. Oh, oh, it's okay. been a minute. It's been a minute. Yeah, yeah. I used to listen when he was on the NPR politics podcast. I liked him a lot, but I haven't. I I only have heard it's been a minute. That a just keeps of. me really up to date. on <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? But um, I I try and being at Ohio State keeps me young. Yeah, you yeah. You know, just walking across the oval, just noticing kids, you know, individuals who are you know on their phones listening to their their iPhones yeah and the airbuds are you <laughs> <laughs> but it's just such a dynamic um, environment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it keeps you wanting to understand what's going on yeah so what did bring you back to Columbus I met my husband when we were in college mm-hmm. Earl went to MIT mm-hmm. he's from Harrisburg Pennsylvania and he had experienced three mile island and so when he went to MIT, he wanted to be a nuclear engineer. <laughs> he saw that there was a ceiling <laughs> being a nuclear engineer and changed his major, and he went to biology. Uh-huh. And so he had gone to... We were dating for eight years apart. Oh, wow. We did not live in the same city. Uh-huh. And so he went to med school at Penn, and then when he started his residency at Northwestern, we married at that time. Gotcha. So I went from college. I worked at Borden in Columbus mm-hmm. in HR um, when I first got out of college. Mm-hmm. Then from there, after five years, I went to Detroit. Mm-hmm. And I worked for a minority bank there. And mm-hmm. I worked for the president of the bank. And it was an amazing experience in that being able to work for, at that point in time with the top three automakers, mm-hmm. um, with the president of a minority bank, and just... To be placed in an African-American city was just very different than being in Columbus, Ohio. Uh Um, It gave me an appreciation of the opportunities and the success um, in a city where individuals were there who looked like you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so was there for two years and then got married Mm -hmm. and moved to Chicago. 
And that was the was that the first time y'all lived and in the same place? That was the first time we lived wow. in the same. It was after eight years of you know going on vacations. Uh-huh. Everything's wonderful. <laughs> Not really being in the same place for more than two weeks together to living together, and mm-hmm. you know it had its struggles. <laughs> in that you were really learning someone's habit because you all have grown. Yeah. During the time frame from undergrad mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to him going through residency, you know, his going through med school and then in his residency and that type of hectic yeah. life that he had with that. And he was in orthopedics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So moved there and went back to HR and had a great opportunity to work for a telecommunications company. Mm-hmm. Their name was Telabs. They are no longer in existence. They were on the forefront of technology, particularly from a digital standpoint. And at that point in time, they looked at HR in the way of them doing their business. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a compliance thing that I've got to do, so why don't you come in? And I had the opportunity to create something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and create the position that I was in. Mm-hmm. I was there for about four years my husband was went into a fellowship in Atlanta, and so they actually had a office in Atlanta, and so they relocated us there. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Uh, and so did that for a year, and then came full circle back to Columbus because Earl had a great. Um, orthopedic opportunity here to gotcha. join a practice. Were you happy to be home? I was that? happy to be home. We had twin boys uh-huh. and it was wonderful to have a support system mm-hmm. because I hadn't had that in Atlanta and it was interesting to be in Atlanta, particularly being a northerner. Um, my only, let's say, social connections were through my children mm-hmm. in that having play dates and so forth. It wasn't as welcoming as they say the Southern hospitality yeah. usually is. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and so was only there for a year and uh-huh. left right when they made the announcement that the Olympics were coming to uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So came to Columbus and it was a great opportunity for me to be able to reset who I was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in that I did not want to continue in HR and had had a really pivotal experience when I was in New York visiting a friend and she lived in Brooklyn and we were coming across the Brooklyn Bridge into Manhattan and what I noticed as I was looking down were all of these cardboard boxes and I'm thinking what is that there and this was probably about 1990. And it was people who were homeless. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, I'm in HR. We're going through a little recession within the nation. I'm a part of right-sizing, left-sizing people. So I'm a part of the problem. So how can I change that to be a part of the solution? So came back to Columbus and just thought long and hard about what it is I wanted to do. And so um, one of my mentors, um, Glenna Watson, who at that point in time was president of CODA, connected me with a woman who was over Holy Rosary, which was a women's family shelter and the homelessness sheltering system. Mm -hmm. And she brought me on contract to write grants for funding. Gotcha. And so that's sort of how you got... And that's how I started. Uh Uh-huh. In that saying, what are my transferable skills that I have from HR that can really go into nonprofit? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of is about relationships. Another was about my skills as far as being able to write. 
Another thing was being strategic and analytical and kind of looking at issues and trying to understand what the process is can be to resolution and solution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, started at Holy Rosary. Then they asked me to come on board full time as assistant director of the shelter. So I ran a women's shelter, which was very, very impactful for me in that it made me understand that individuals aren't homeless because they want to be. Mm-hmm. It's about choices. Mm-hmm. And it is about influences in their life. It's not that they want to be there. It's that they've made choices that have led to this. Mm-hmm. And so how as a community can we look at what are those systematic types of triggers that have caused people to be in the situations that they're in. Mm-hmm. Full, you know, going forward, was there for about two years, and then the city of Columbus decided to bring back their social service mm-hmm. agency. And so I said, well, you know, I've been writing fund- grants for funding. I would like to have the opportunity to actually evaluate Nonprofits and be able to give them funds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I applied for the position, and I started, I believe, in 1996 um, at the City of Columbus as a research analyst. Gotcha. And then you've essentially been in kind of the government nonprofit. And I've been in the government then. nonprofit since then. Mm-hmm. And so that experience allowed me to understand the basic needs, how it's funded from a federal standpoint, how the city is a pass-through, the same the county, and being intentional as far as looking at specific sectors mm-hmm. of nonprofits. So at that point in time, I had basic services. I had um, I oversaw um, basically what the community shelter board was, you know, Middlehead Food Bank, and those type of sectors, but. At that point in time, there was quite a bit of funding that the city had, not only from a general fund standpoint, but also from a community block grant to really be impactful, which is not the case at this point in time because the funds are dwindling. And so I was able to start as a research analyst and kind of move from that into actually overseeing all of the social service programmings programming as far as those funds that were allocated to nonprofits in Columbus did the empowerment zone for a year when we received the hundred million dollars from the um, the federal government then we had a change in administrations going from Lashutka to Coleman um, we had a new director of development coming in and what I have found in my career is not to wait to be asked but to let individuals know what you're interested in. Mm -hmm. And there was an opportunity at that point in time that they wanted to start having liaisons from departments to city council. Mm -hmm. And so I basically asked to be that person. (laughs) (laughs) And Mark Barbash at that point in time said, okay. So that's where I learned really about development as the fabric of really holistically being able to look at economic development, housing, land bank, community planning, but it l- let me understand the plethora uh-huh. of everything and its can- interconnectedness as far as creating community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so 
I went from being a research analyst to being a coordinator or to being deputy director of development when I left the city Mm -hmm. of Columbus. Mm -hmm. What I really want to impart to just young people in general is understand and get and all the information and the experience that you can, but also never wait to be asked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and then, and I know you went on to do, you worked for the state and then did some right. other nonprofit work, but how does a lot of, you know, those development issues that you were interested in and the, your nonprofit service, how does that connect if it does to the work you do today at Ohio State? So what's interesting is that when I left the city, um, I had been asked by Kurt Moody and Alex Shoemate and Dwight Smith to come over to Diversified Development mm-hmm. and to be president of a minority real estate development firm. It was a great experience for me in that I was able to use all of the development understanding that I had, because I had worked with Daimler, because they were also a partner in this, with what we did on Gowdy Field mm-hmm. um, in working with the city, which now you see Spectrum and you see um, Ohio State's eye clinic as mm-hmm. well over there. And that had started out as a recreation and parks l- landfill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just going through <laughs> all of the stages to get it to where it is today is why they asked me to come on board mm-hmm. because I had been the point of contact. Mm-hmm. When I started with diversified development, that is when the recession hit because that was 2007. Okay. And so we had great equity, we had great partners, um, had great development opportunities, but at that point in time, the banks were not lending to anyone who didn't really have a portfolio. Mm -hmm. So we did that for two years, and that's from there I went to to the state. Yeah. But that was my biggest failure, and I can say that that was my biggest learning experience. Mm-hmm. And it's what I really carry with me in that it wasn't something, you know, there had been a huge business first at cover that we're going to start this real estate development firm and it's going to really be impactful, and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I was able to rebound from that mm-hmm. and learn from it and be able to say, it's not going to be a failure that I'm going to keep with me. It's a failure that I'm going to learn from, and I'm going to move forward. Mm-hmm. But what I can say, and I'm very proud of, is that the projects that we worked on are now happening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. once we came out of the recession. Mm-hmm. The things that I had started are reality now. Mm-hmm. So one thing I learned is that I am not an entrepreneur. in that I can bring the resources and the networks together, but I'm not the closer. And so I went back to what I know I do well, and that is connecting, aligning, and executing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that is what I do at Ohio State now. We have various projects that I'm working on from a development standpoint, one of them was Cannon Drive, mm-hmm. understanding the city's process as far as from a capital budget standpoint, understanding that 
when you're working with a city, there is a partnership. And what is it the city needs from Ohio State, being a land grant, Mm -hmm. that can really assist with access for maybe underserved communities in order to help them with their priorities moving forward and then assisting with executing. Mm -hmm. So aligning what the resources were, understanding what the city partnerships and then executing on what those were. Mm -hmm. And so with the $18 million that OSU received for the first phase of Cannon Drive, it was a $54 million project for the first phase. Mm -hmm. But what we partnered with the city with was what you're seeing right now is through our partnership with Neighborhood Design Center and the the One Linden Plan. Mm Mm-hmm. So the city said, we need assistance in how we're going to be planful and engage the community. So we use the same format and exercise and process that we use for partners achieving community transformation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for the Linden Plan. Building your credibility and your engagement with the community saying that this is not just going to be another plan that you're going to put on the shelf this is your plan this is the linden plan for the residents who live here and what is it that you want to see in your neighborhood Mm -hmm. it's not about the city or a developer or a corporation or nonprofit coming in and telling you what you need it's you telling us what you need and us looking at how that can happen. Mm -hmm. And so it's about education, workforce development, transportation, and it's about uh, housing and safety. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what now you see with the One Linden Plan. The same thing is happening on the hilltop. Mm -hmm. So the city needed a partner. We both allocate funds to Neighborhood Design Center. Gotcha. We both allocate, we, we utilize this opportunity for our students to actually engage with the community. They are a part of the process. So we're really engaging what we are as a land grant mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and saying we are giving students the accessibility and the opportunity to understand the program that they're in and how it actually works in dealing with the residents mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to see if this is what they want to do. When you mentioned partners achieving community transformation, mm-hmm. that was your Near East Side yes. effort, essentially. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel about the Near East Side today? So I always tell people that the Near East Side is a community that raised me. Mm-hmm. So for me to have the opportunity to actually work with Ohio State, um, Columbus Metropolitan Housing Authority, and the city of Columbus to transform a neighborhood that raised me to something that it can be, not something that it used to be, was just the pinnacle for me of my career. Mm -hmm. When I grew up on the Near East Side, there were 45,000 people there. There were, you know, I tell people, there was a Kroger's on Greenway. You know, I lived on Franklin Park South. I walked across the park each and every day to go, on Sundays to go to church. 
there was the YMCA that had Friday night kind of parties for the teenagers. Mm -hmm. There were all the resources and services that retail. There was commerce on Mount Vernon. But as I got older, I saw that starting to diminish. And so, as I said, that's where I learned to play tennis. You know, that's where at Beatty Recreation. And that's where, you know, I was every summer. Mm -hmm. And then I come back in 2010, and it's no longer a community of 45,000. It's a community of 7,700. Mm-hmm. And those who had the opportunity to leave left, and those who didn't stayed. And you have abandonment, you have no retail, you have social service programs, which are very much needed. But it allowed me to work with CMHA in the city on a reset. And again, we went to the community and said, for 18 months, And it was Autumn Glover and Don Tyler Lee who started this. And they asked the community and they had committees for 18 months to find out exactly what it is that they wanted. And then we were able to get a choice neighborhood planning grant and we were able to bring in a consultant to look at the information that had been collected and to dig deeper Mm -hmm. and have town hall meetings and have meetings in people's homes and kitchens (laughs) to really make sure we got it right and then launch the actual plan in 2013. Mm -hmm. And it is the residence plan. Mm -hmm. And so it's been 10 years. We have reset packed again, um, but it is amazing what has happened. Mm -hmm. You see Poindexter Place, you see the relocation of families And many times when families get vouchers, they move away. But these families wanted to come back because this was their community. Mm -hmm. And it had been their community for generations. And it's become now a mixed-income community at Point Extra Place. And there's a senior housing there as well. And now you're seeing, with Homeport, housing that is going block by block. But one of the things that I think is very critical and we need to be very intentional about is to keep people in place. Mm -hmm. Because affordable housing is not just about new builds. It's not just about revitalizing and bringing new people in because you do need new people in. And And even though people believe that gentrification is a nasty word, it's not. You need it in order to bring in the services and the Mm -hmm. retail that everyone wants Mm -hmm. in a neighborhood. But you need to be very intentional about keeping people in place. So, you know, looking at all the different affordable housing groups that are working together, I am hopeful that they will not just look at building new, but also keeping people where they are. Mm -hmm. I know that the county is looking at that and the treasurer is looking at how do you really kind of grandfather particular folks who have been in homes that have been in their homes that have been in their family for for generations and have them not be impacted by the appreciation that's happening in home values Mm -hmm. and that they are taxed out Uh, a very interesting figure that i heard about two weeks ago from the treasurer was this 
in that seniors that are losing their housing are not losing their housing due to foreclosure. They're losing their housing due to not being able to pay their taxes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and that's the when people talk about gentrification. Exactly. You have a tendency to say, well, if, if you own your home, it's great because the value of your home has gone up. But right. if you can't afford exactly. the property taxes, then that's you're still in trouble. Exactly. <laughs> so there are some things that are happening across the country that we need to really look at and be intentional to be able to keep seniors in their home and also look at when individuals have code enforcement violations and let's say their income is above the threshold for federal dollars. How do we pool an endowment or something so therefore they can apply to that to get a grant mm-hmm. again keeping people in place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is a chapter of it here. There's a nonprofit called Rebuilding Together that that's exactly. a big effort of it. Mm-hmm. I was involved with in Nashville. Okay, this is so good. It's all so much great stuff but I want to talk a little bit more about just kind of general <laughs> career stuff. So kind of on that topic you're a, a person's got a lot of demands on your time. You're, mm-hmm. You do board work. You uh, are <laughs> leading this anti-poverty initiative Mm -hmm. from the county. How do you decide what to say yes to? I'm still learning that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still learning that. I am, and it's interesting, I started sending some resignations to boards out yesterday. Oh, wow. In fact, because I need to be very intentional about my time. There, is, there are a lot of demands, not only on my time outside, but also within the university itself. Mm-hmm. And how do I align what I'm doing on the outside that can be very impactful on what's happening on OSU's campus? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the poverty study Rise Together plan was an excellent opportunity for me really to kind of utilize more so mediation skills. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because you have a lot of strong personalities with a lot of strong opinions Mm -hmm. that were in the room, but we got to where we needed to go. We had some very hard conversations and very frank conversations. Mm -hmm. And I think it made the plan stronger and more intentional as far as it's not about nonprofits and their funding. It's about the person and how we help them change their life to what they want it to be. And so that's a different dynamic. Many times it's about nonprofits looking for funding in order to fund programs. Mm -hmm. But now we've got to look at nonprofits and those that we fund that are meeting the metrics and the outcomes that are assisting that individual and that household. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that is going to really affect who does what now. Mm-hmm. Because it's not just the county, it's also looking at how do we align that with what United Way is doing? How do we align that with what Ohio Means Jobs is doing? How do we align that with what, let's say, um, our federally qualified healthcare um, facilities are doing? And how are we aligning that with what our districts are doing from an educational standpoint? We have to be aligned and intentional as far as how we focus our funding because we have got to move the needle now because there's no reason why the same demographic, and usually that is 
women of color with children, their lives have not changed. Mm-hmm. Others' lives have changed, but their has not. So there are some systematic things that we need to do from a policy standpoint to look at systematic racism. And we have to look inwardly at our different organizations to understand that it's not intentional and it's not malicious intent. It's people do what is familiar Mm -hmm. and people do what is easy for them to do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you've got to get out of your comfort zone Mm -hmm. and being able to bring in people who don't look like you are not from your same background, may not be from your same culture, may not be from your same religion or ethnicity, because that is only going to make what we're doing together better, Mm -hmm. because we've got different ideas and opinions and experiences that are all coming together to make a difference. And the big thing that I applaud the Franklin County commissioners for doing is putting aside funding to look at what are some of the big ideas and risks that we want to take Mm -hmm. in order to make a difference. It could be universal child care, so therefore a woman does not have to make a decision regarding the benefits cliff. I can't take that promotion because if I do, I'm going to lose my benefits Mm -hmm. from our child care. If you have universal child care, you don't have to make that decision anymore. You can take that promotional opportunity. It's about do you make transit free and if you do what does that look like do you make transit do you talk to corporations and ask them can you make transit a benefit Mm -hmm. just like everything else Mm -hmm. because we're experiencing phenomenal growth by 2050 we're at this point in time supposedly supposed to get a million it probably may be more than (laughs) that our arteries for our streets are clogged already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how do we change the behavior of individuals to look at transit as an option? <laughs> there are individuals who have to take transit because they don't have any other option. Mm-hmm. But for those who do have options and opportunities, how do we align that with transit systems that get them easily to and from wherever they want to go, particularly to work. Mm -hmm. And so right now what we're working on is a private-public partnership with the city and um, Ohio State and Nationwide and White Castle and Cover My Meds and Columbus Downtown Development Corporation to say that Olentangy Corridor that is going to be the biggest job corridor in the region. Mm-hmm. And we have got to get ahead of it. Mm-hmm. And in order to get ahead of it, we need to do a study. And so we have raised probably about a million plus dollars to do this study in order to say, how do we make it transit friendly, have transit stops? I mean, just from an OSU standpoint, when I look at what may be happening in the next 20 years, we, through our development of our innovation district, will have 15,000 new jobs. And that's just Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about what Ohio Health is. I'm not talking about what else is going to happen as far as development along that corridor. But there are about, about 100,000 jobs right now that are coming down from, let's say, Bethel Road. Yeah. We haven't even gotten to Dublin yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and so we've got to make it transit friendly. So, because that's an attraction tool mm-hmm. for businesses. Mm-hmm. Ease of access. And how do we do that? From Bethel Road down to 33. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So after you've spent a long day or a long week <laughs> thinking about all these big issues... What do you do to, to decompress? What's your number one to decompress? What do I do to decompress? <laughs> this sounds so silly. I exercise. I go to Orange Theory three to four ah, times a week. <laughs> one of those people. People love Orange Theory. <laughs> I go to three to four times a week, and it helps me with my stress. Uh-huh. I now, for the past month, have done a meditation app. Mm-hmm. And when I'm feeling just kind of anxious, I will just kind of set myself aside and just do my breathing. Um, I've come to the conclusion that it is not the urgency and now all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we should all remember that. <laughs> And as I said, I, I am I'm looking to balance. The, the next thing is, I walk my dogs. Mm-hmm. What, how many dogs do you have? I've got two little dogs, Pandora and Kaz. Oh. And we live downtown now. Mm-hmm. We moved from New Albany mm-hmm. after we became empty nesters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I walk them along the Scioto Mile. Oh, nice. And it just gives me time to reflect mm-hmm. and think. And it allows me to wind down. And I think that that has really assisted in the past three years that we've been downtown. Just being along the riverfront Mm -hmm. and being able to just stop and sit and just have some quiet time. Because there's not hustle and bustle that's going around you. And it just gives you you a peace of mind. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned earlier one of the sort of things you want to leave people with is, you know, not waiting to be asked, but mm-hmm. kind of to wrap up here, any other, you know, pieces of advice that you want to leave with people earlier in their careers? I would say be passionate about what you do. It's not about the next accolade. It's about waking up in the morning and being excited about what the day brings. And what you as an individual working with others can do to make a difference. Mm -hmm. I know it's an overused word, but it's really about being purposeful about your passion. Mm -hmm. It's not about being everywhere and just having all these ideas. It's being focused and true to who you are and understanding that you do have the opportunity if it's just one person's life to be able to make a difference mm-hmm. Great. well terrific well thank you so much I feel like we could talk for another hour but I gotta <laughs> let you go here and so thank you again for oh, thank being you. on thank you this has been wonderful I enjoyed it <laughs> alright awesome thank y'all <laughs>